You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, welcome back to the show, everyone. Today we have on Zach Booth. Just a few years ago, Zach was a window cleaner running his own business. And however, he had always dreamed about getting into real estate and finally decided to take the leap of faith, walking away from a successful window cleaning business into making multi-million dollars a year in real estate investing. Zach is here to tell us today about all his insider secrets on how he was able to find massively discounted properties regardless of the experience level you have and in the market you're in. So I'll just stop there and say, Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Well, we like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? My favorite ice cream, I'm probably just a very simple vanilla with hot fudge. And uh, I've probably got like 20 pounds on me because of that concoction. (laughs) So. <laughs> well, we won't banish you for the vanilla because you threw on some hot fudge on there. But um, if, if you had to pick cone or bowl, what would you do? Oh, bowl all the way, man. Cone doesn't hold enough, right? <laughs> okay. okay. And that lets this chocolate at the bottom fester so you can almost oh, drink it out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's got to be like melting hot. So it like melts the, the ice cream as it goes down. <laughs> I love it. I was, uh, I was at a place for dinner over the weekend and we got something called a Nutty D'Angelo which is like they caramelize uh, nuts right in front of you. And then they pour it on the ice cream, but it's so hot that it like hardens. And so it, it hardens the ice cream, hardens the nut. Uh, it's just, it was wonderful. Mm, sounds good. I'm doing it a disservice. Well, uh, Zach, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? Yeah. So my main core business is real estate wholesaling. Keep it as basic as possible. I source deeply discounted properties and pass them on risk-free, meaning I don't buy them. I don't have any debt. I don't use any cash to buy them, but I pass on that investment opportunity to a buy and hold investor or to a flipper. Right? That's that's 80% of my company. Uh, I do flip. I do buy and hold. Right, The whole reason I'm in that business is to cherry pick the best possible rentals for cash flow and net worth. That's my main core business. That's what pays the bills and created financial freedom. But I'm also a real estate coach and help people implement and do what I do. That's awesome. Well, before we get into the wholesaling, I have got to know the story behind the window cleaning. So yeah. give us the give us the give us the behind the scenes there. What, what what's up with that? I wash windows for over ten years. <laughs> it was yeah. horrible. You know, it, it was a great experience though. I started that business when I was seventeen, so I was raised. I was raised to work. You know, my dad's like at 16, he's like, Hey, you're a man now, you pay for all your own stuff. So I was in charge of um, you know, he he would pay for I didn't pay for housing, I didn't pay for food, and he gave me like 200 bucks a year for clothing and then everything else, insurance. If I wanted a truck, I had to pay for it cash. He wouldn't even co-sign a loan, like my first cell phone. You know, I'm old, so the smartphone came out when I graduated from high school. So it wasn't like a big, big thing to have a phone, but yeah. So, I mean, everything I wanted to pay for, I had to pay for. And even before then he was very much, you pay for your own stuff. So I started working at 11. I had made cheese taxidermy. I had framed houses, finished carpentry, worked in a wood mill, done all sorts of crazy things. And so by the time I was 17, I was trying to do basketball, you know, for high in high school ball. And I was, uh, trying to do school and get good grades. If not, death came t- to me, <laughs> the hand of my father. And um, I needed to be able to make more money. I couldn't trade an hour for seven bucks. I didn't have enough hours to give. And for the first time, I started thinking, how do I get more for less time? 
And so I started my first window cleaning business, hired my first employee when I was 17, bought my first truck cash. I, you know, and, and, and grew that business. And I did it for over a decade from the outside looking in, I was super successful, but I was paycheck to paycheck, had some debts, didn't love the industry. The bigger I got, the less profits I was making. So I felt like I had just plateaued and was stuck. And, uh, I had to, I had to do something different, man. But, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a story. I have millions of views. I ended up on the history channel cause of it. So the outside looking in, I was like, I hadn't, I had it all figured out, but I, yeah, I, I, I saw a video of you out there cleaning windows and that you had like 10 million views on it. What, what's the story there? Like, how did, Dude. How did you have that go viral? <laughs> yeah. I had no interest in going viral. Like if you look at the comments, I think there's like 20,000 plus comments or something stupid. And it's like, I have zero interest in washing windows. Why am I watching this? And like, people are like, it's one in the morning. Why am I watching this? Like, that's like most of the comments. Right. So yeah, it blew up or viral. And I never created, like, I'm, I might be on this podcast. I might put myself out there, but I never intentioned or even have the personality type to want to be the guy. I really don't care. I'm actually like, what I do for a hobby is I go to the mountains by myself with a bow and arrow in my backpack for four days, all by myself, right? Like that's my happy place. And so like being in front of people and on podcasts, it was very much out of my comfort zone. It's what I do a lot of now, but you know, I, I, I created some tutorial videos on YouTube on how to clean windows. So I got really good at cleaning windows because I was trying to make more money with less time, right? Everyone's goal. And, um, so I got sick and tired. I had tons of turnover in window cleaning. For some reason, nobody wanted to be a window cleaning technician their whole lives. Right. So I was constantly just going through high school and, and college kids. Um, and I got sick of being on the job site and teaching every single person how to wash windows. It was like six months to, to 12 months before I had to train someone else and just constantly churning. So I created these tutorial videos to teach my window cleaners. It had nothing to do with like teaching other people. And then they blew up, you know, and it just accidentally happened, you know, yeah, and then yeah. the history channel got a hold of it and took a clip of it and, and, and so forth. But yeah, kind of crazy. It's one of those things uh, that Gary V don't try to create, just document, document what you're doing. And you'd be surprised yeah. how many people are interested in your documentation of it. Yeah. It's like, why in the hell is everybody watching this? Like, <laughs> You mentioned something about being more of like an introvert and going out to the woods and things like that. I think a lot of people coming out of 2020 are, are struggling with like, how do you put yourself out there? How do you overcome that fear? And doing my research, I, I heard stories about you going door to door, trying to sell window cleaning jobs. I mean, any tips or tricks on like how you overcame that or what your thought process was as you were going to do that? Yeah. Well, if you're trying to teach your kids, don't give them handouts, right? <laughs> because the pain, the pain of not paying, you know, like I had to put gas in my truck and being able to go on dates and playing basketball, which is very important to me. I had to figure out a way to do it. So when I started, I put all of the money I had saved up to buy my truck, my cell phone, and that kind of stuff. I had about 30 bucks left. That's it. And my truck was like out of gas. And I had an insurance bill due in like a couple of days. So I didn't even have enough money for my insurance bill. And I'm like, all right, I'm screwed. What do I do? I started door knocking from my parents' house. I walked from my parents' house, right? And I actually built that company up to where we did about half a million dollars in gross sales the year I walked away from it. And I built about 80% of that clientele from doing door-to-door -door sales. Um, I even uh, did a couple of videos on my YouTube channel where I went out and in one hour, one hour of door knocking, I booked $970 worth of window cleaning. Um, you know, and my commissions as a sales rep for that company would have been 150 bucks, right? Just want to show people how fast you can make money and, and so forth. So I got, I got good at it um, and I got good out of it, out of a need. And 
I did it wrong because I did it the hard way by just figuring out what worked and what didn't work instead of just finding out someone that was really good and said, what do you do? So I learned something very important. You don't sell ketchup popsicles to a woman in white gloves. You don't sell ice to Eskimos. You don't close everybody, right? Coffee's not for closers. That's, 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 that's for charlatans, okay? We're not selling snake oil. Your goal is to find and identify the people that you can serve and help, right? And if any other sales guru teaches you otherwise is a shark and you should avoid them because they don't have the right core values. And if they align with you, you probably won't align with me. So you probably shouldn't listen to this podcast episode. So I won't drop names, but that's very important. You got to identify people. So when I would go door to door, um, the first thing I would say is say, hey, I'm out doing bids for window cleaning. Do you want a bid for window cleaning? That was my pitch. And then tell them about how cool I was, what company, my name, none of that stuff. It didn't matter, right? What mattered is I was trying to identify people that wanted a bid. I got three responses. One response was no, not interested. I'd say you want a flyer. If they say no, I would literally just take off running immediately to the next door because I was wasting time. If they said yes, I'd say, okay, I'll walk around the outside and do a bid. And the third response was hesitation. Hesitation meant, I don't know, maybe, um, do you have to come inside my house? They're processing it. If I, if I didn't interrupt their thought process, it was a no, 100% of the time. If I interrupted their, their thought process, it was about 80, 90% success rate that I would get the bid. All I would say is, all I got to do is walk around the outside of your house. It'll literally take me one and a half minutes to get you a price. And then I'll knock on the door at the price and I would get the bid. So I learned how many doors I had to knock to get a bid, how many bids I had to do to get, to get a client and how much money I could generate per hour in door knocking. If I would run, I could produce about $1,000 in revenue per hour of door knocking, right? And picking out the higher end neighborhoods. So I learned that, right? And I do the same thing with everything that I've ever sold, with wholesaling, with, with anything I've ever done. you got to quickly identify those people, qualify them. Is that someone that you can serve and help and get straight to the point? But once they got the bid, then they cared. What's your name? Are you licensed and insured? Then you had to close them, right? But people, people want to get to the point. There's nothing more obnoxious than a salesman that just never shuts up, right? Nothing more obnoxious. Yeah, I think most of our listeners know I am in sales for my W-2 job. So I want to go down this rabbit hole with you. But two things I would pull out there. One is I uh, somebody was pitching me a business idea the other day. And I was like, no, this doesn't make sense at all to me. But I said, you're closer. You're one no closer to your first yes. So you do have to go get a bunch of no's before you can get yes to refine the process, which you have magnificently around identify, qualify, and close. But Wholesaling and sales is nothing more than finding people with a problem and trying to serve them and help them solve that problem. 100%. Sometimes that's you, sometimes that's not you. But now I want to take this conversation into wholesaling. For our listeners out there that have never heard of the word wholesaling before, can you first off define us what is wholesaling in real estate? Yeah. So it's like flipping houses, except you're not having to flip the house, you're flipping the purchase agreement. Okay. So let's say, let's say Matt here has a house he wants to sell me. I say, okay, Matt, I'd be happy to buy, buy your house. And then I qualify him, right? I say, well, Matt, you can fix it up, list it and get a, you know, someone to live in it and they'll pay way more than I could. 
right? But Matt's like, I don't want to do that because it's in bad shape or whatever. So you got to find the seller, right? That's, that's the key is finding the seller that wants speed and convenience. They want a pawn shop for their house. Okay. Say, okay, Matt, that's great. We sign a purchase agreement. Let's say we put it under contract to buy the house for a hundred thousand dollars in that purchase agreement between me and Matt, there's a paragraph that says I'm allowed to assign sale transfer the title to someone else. Then I go to Bob the flipper and Sammy, the buy and hold investor. And I say, Hey guys, how much will you pay me? Um, for this, this property, this purchase agreement that I have, that I have the rights to sell this purchase contract. And I say, oh, man, I'd pay 150,000 for that. It's like, okay. So your underlying purchase agreement that I have here is a hundred thousand. My assignment fee is going to be 50. You pay me a $50,000 assignment fee. The deal's yours. And they go, okay, great. They're all in 150. There's some equity in it. There's money in it still for them. I get a $50,000 assignment risk-free, right? So all I'm doing is I'm identifying the seller and helping them with speed and convenience. It's what their needs are. And I'm selling the purchase contract to the end buyer so they can close on it. That's all yep. I'm doing. Yep. I love that. And I think, again, there's many reasons why people find themselves needing to sell fast. Mine one time was I didn't want the property anymore. It needed way more work. So I just wanted to offload it. Some people, they might be going to jail. They might have a, a bad debt that's due in the next couple of weeks. It might've been their mom's house and it just pains them to think about their mother. So they just decided to sell the house kind of thing. Or they have crappy siblings and there's litigation yep. with them or, or there's just tired landlords. I get a lot of those, right? Very wealthy people just don't want to deal with them. They're done kind of like your situation investor yep. that just it made sense to move the money fast, right? Yep. And you've had the property forever. It's already appreciated past what you paid for it. You made your money. Just get it off my hands fast. Exactly. I don't want to have to deal with renovating the property to put it on the MLS plus pay all the realtor fees. Um, yeah. So that's can I, can I say something about that real quick? A lot of people like first they they first hear about this concept and they're like, oh, you're taking advantage of people that are down on their on their luck. You're a bottom feeder. And the fact is, the people that are defaulting on their mortgage have liens and stuff on their properties. We do very very few of those deals because they're so upside down. They they're in such a hard situation that their only option is foreclosure and most likely bankruptcy. Yep. Right. And so I avoid those. I hate those deals. The deals I like are wealthy, educated investors that want speed over convenience. Yep. Yeah. Or, or speed and convenience over price, I should say. And ultimately, if you save them up from a foreclosure, you're actually helping their credit tremendously by not sure. having to go through that process. So we talked about what wholesaling is. Let's go through your qualify, identify, and close because I really like the, that three step there. How do you go about identifying people that could potentially be in a distressed situation where they need to sell their house? Yeah, everything I brand and do around coaching, my podcast, my YouTube channel, it's all titled Driving for Dollars or DFD Mastery, right? What driving for dollars is in the real estate space, wholesaling space, flipping space, many of you know what this is. You drive around, identify ugly houses, right? And reach out and see if they want to sell. It's very simple, right? And the reason we do this is because if someone has a property that's a thorn in their, their side and they want a pawn shop for the house, well, they probably don't want to go take care of general maintenance. They're not going to mow the lawn. They're going to let the paint peel. They're going to put tarps on the roof when it's leaking. They're not going to officially fix it. They're going to put duct tape on the cracked glass, board up the window, whatever, right? So you can drive around and find these houses that most likely that property is a thorn in someone's side. So what we do is we drive through and we build this list. So that list, you know, I believe is the best way 
to find off-market discounted properties, whether you want to wholesale them, flip them, buy and hold. So we identify our general list, the top end of our funnel of these properties. It's 80% of our, well, it's probably not that much at this point because we're doing so many other things. It's probably 70% of our revenue though, but it is our most profitable marketing channel. Overall, we're spending about 17 cents to make a dollar marketing to this list. Yeah, that's a pretty good ROI. And just to reiterate that, so what you do is essentially you drive down different neighborhoods, you find uh, houses that have overgrown bushes, the mail's out, it doesn't look like anybody's been there in a while, and you target them in a list, and then you start a campaign around that. Exactly. So I've simplified this like as, as simply as I can, right? Of course, there's processes and things that we put in place. We're adding about 100 properties to our marketing list with one hour of work. Right. And so there's there's tech, there's systems, there apps, you know, there's uh, ways to get phone numbers and all of that information and, you know, 100 houses and homeowners and their information and and everything in just one hour. So yeah. it's you know, we're adding just in Utah here, we're adding 2000 properties to our marketing list every single week to build a million dollar a year company. Right. So, yes, there's some processes, of course, um, but that's the simplified version of, of the top end of our funnel, how we're finding these people. Whoa. So, all right. You've got 2000 properties. You start a campaign on them. Somebody calls you. How do you go about qualifying them? What does that conversation look like? Talk track. Yeah. So we say, hi, we, we introduce ourselves and then we talk about options. So I tell my students this all the time and I, I follow this in everything that I've ever sold. If your sales script needs to change because a family member called, you are not doing it right. You are not doing it right. You need to change it because you're shady, <laughs> right? So my corp, my, like, it's funny because um, I was able to, yeah, I say this all the time, but I actually did have a cousin call me and I followed the same script. And I'm like, heck yeah, right? So the script is this. Okay, well, tell me about the house. What's, you know, what's going on? What's the condition? What do you owe? And I try and get as much information, right? And I've found that the people that are super motivated, they're going to tell you everything. They're going to be pretty transparent. Sometimes they'll hold information close to their chest, right? Um, but I try and get that information. A lot of the times I'll just get condition of the house. That's, you know, you can just get the condition and then you can go into their options. Okay. Well, you understand I'm an investor, right? Yeah. I'm going to try and make money on this, right? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I know. That's, I, that's fine. I was like, okay, well, you know, that it sounds like it needs some work. It sounds like the tenants destroyed the place. Um, have you thought about, you know, getting, getting in there and, and paying a contract or fixing it up and trying to squeeze as much out of it as possible? That might be a better option for you instead of me making money by doing something similar. And they go, no, 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 I don't want that. I was like, okay, well, um, you know, maybe you don't have to fix it up so nice. You could still keep it as a rental. No, 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 I don't want that. It's like, okay, so you want to work with investors, buys it as is. And, and you're okay with that if they make money though, right? Yeah, that's what I want. So, okay, well, I'd be happy to help you. Um, do, do you have a number that you want? Do you have a time frame? And I figure out what all their needs are. So then when I go and look at the house and evaluate it, I try and fill their need. It's very simple because if I've, set, if I've asked intelligent questions and understood all their needs and talked about all their decisions, guess what? If the other guy comes in and starts being all shady and pushy and you know slimy, guess what? you're going to get contracts for 20, 30, 40 grand under what they have physical contracts that they haven't signed yet in their hands happens to us all the time. Yep. Because yep. they trust what, us. 
What I love about that too, is that you walked them through the different options. Hey, do you realize that you could fix this up? Do you realize that you could put a renter in this? Do you realize that you could put it on the real estate bar through the realtor through on the MLS and things like that? And I think that's one of the most uh, ninja sales tips you can do for someone is try to tell them that you're not the right option and giving them other options. Because at the end of the day, it would be probably a more profitable option for them to go through those paths, but you're not looking for, they're not looking for profitable. They're looking for easy, convenient, get it off their hands. And I, and I didn't have like a sales training that taught me this. I'm sure, I know there are some out there now that I've experienced this. I thought it came up with this brilliant idea. I didn't, you know, it's been around forever. This is, you know, this is pure and simple psychology, but I started doing this because I wanted to make sure I was honest and transparent with people. Like I felt bad making 20, 40, 50, a hundred grand if they didn't understand that they had other options. Right. You know, a lot of people might be hearing this and be like, BS, you don't do that. You're trying to squeeze them for all they got, right? I have recorded and documented calls on my YouTube channel that you can hear someone say, Stan, I say, Stan, you could list it with an agent. Sounds like it's in great condition. You've already remodeled. Why don't you just list it? I don't care. I want it gone. That's his exact words. It's like, okay, I can help you. (laughs) Yeah, I'd be happy to, right? We will uh, we'll link the YouTube videos in the description because I think that's good, just educational uh, material for everyone out there. And I think what I love about real estate is it's very creative and there are so many different ways that you can package a deal. And I, I love listening to recordings like that because it always gives me insight to different ways that you can do things and maneuver uh, deals around. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that's the identifying, qualifying, and then the closing part. Can you talk about the the idea of building a disposition list? Who are the other people on the other side of this buying the properties from you? What does that all look like, et cetera? Yep. So I actually do that first. I build my cash buyers list first. So if you've watched Undercover Billionaire, Billionaire the first season, I don't like some of the characters in the second season, so I haven't watched it. So um, if you've heard me talk about some sales tactics and things that I don't like that people teach, there's someone in the second season that doesn't align with my core values. I, I kind of feel like I know who that is, but I haven't seen the show. <laughs> I'm not going to drop names because I'm not going to do that, but y'all probably know who I'm talking about. So I've only watched the first season. I love it. I refer to it all the time. Frank Stearns did a fantastic job. His whole mission and goal behind creating that was to show people that the American dream is alive and well. Nothing, nothing spoke sweeter to my heart than, than that document. Of course, they got to add some drama, right? Because we got to have some drama, but overall it's amazing. And what he talked about when he only has a hundred bucks and he's trying to turn it into a million dollar company in 90 days, he said, if you're trying to pawn stuff off, if you're trying to flip something, you get your buyer first. So he goes to Craigslist and finds people that want rundown old tires. So then he goes and looks for rundown old tires. So he teaches you get your buyer first, right? And I teach my students the same thing. Uh, other people will disagree with this. And they say, if you get a good deal, your buyer will come. That's BS. You will have motivated buyers, just like you have motivated sellers. You'll have people with tax purposes. They need to move money. You're going to have people that have crews. They have private money that needs to be put to work, right? So one buyer is going to pay way more on one deal where the, where if it was two months down the road, they wouldn't pay the same amount, right? So you got to have that big cash buyers list. My first deal I ever wholesale, I made 10 grand. Only buyer that he was even interested at all. Only one is because I had the right buyer, right? It happens over and over. We'll have, we'll have uh, offers 20 to $50,000 different from each other, right? So 
I mean, think about it. You have one buyer. Okay. There goes 50 G's because you didn't have the right buyer. That's crazy town, right? So we build our cash buyers list first. And so then when we have the deal, we send an email blast and a text blast and we take highest and best. We don't shop it around because we want all the numbers in quick, right? We don't go, Hey, Bob, John offered, you know, this much. If you go up five grand, you start going back and forth. Cause then they don't want to give you their number. Right. And they're like, I want to be last. And then it drags out the process takes forever. Yep. So once we get it under contract, we tell the seller, we're going to have an inspection period. You're going to, um, you know, we're going to have a bunch of people through potential partners, flippers, contractors, all sorts of people, because we want to make it fast and convenient for you. So we can buy you lunch or you can be here. I'll be here. So it'll be about 30, 40 minutes and we'll set the time and date. And then we send the email blast and the text blast. We get everyone through, they do the inspection. We take highest and best Then whoever we accept their offer. We take a $5,000 non-refundable earnest money check directly to our company, not the title company, because they're buying our contract, not the purchase agreement, right? So if they argue that, I say, no, I'm not going to work with you. That is my requirement. And then we sign the assignment contract. We always have the contract close be, or the assignment contract, they have a deadline to close well before the underlying purchase contract deadline. That way, if they back out or fall through or their financing falls through, we keep their non-refundable earnest money and sell to the next guy. So we don't miss out on a deal. So um, you've thrown out a big numbers here. You've thrown 20, 50, 10. What, what's your average like assignment fee for a wholesale property right now? Yeah, a little over 30 grand. Um, we did one like f- about a month ago. We made 103 grand though. That's so- awesome. They fluctuate, but we just did one for five grand, right? Yep. So they, they fluctuate, but the average is a little over 30 grand. So I've bought uh, a number of different properties from wholesalers in the past. So I already know the answer to this from my perspective, but you're telling me that you are going out and buying a house for a hundred thousand and then selling it to someone, an investor for 150. Why wouldn't that person just go find the hundred thousand dollar seller and uh, buy it from them directly? I don't know why. Go ahead, guys. <laughs> go do it. That's what I tell them all the time. They're like, well, wow, I don't, it's like, join my program. I'll tell you exactly how I'm doing what I'm doing. But guess yeah. what? You know how few my flippers here in Utah, I, I will teach people my exact marketing systems here in Utah. My competition, my competition, I don't believe in competition, right? That's why I'll teach them, right? But they don't want to, right? Because just like the seller has wants and needs and what they're trying to accomplish, they don't want to deal with flipping the house. And guess what? Many flippers don't want to deal with sourcing deals. They don't want to do the marketing, right? And I learned when I was trying to get into buy and hold investing, had all these obstacles, debt to income ratios, down payments, all those things I wanted to get into taking over people's mortgages or doing wraps or seller finance and being able to build my rental portfolio, my net worth. And I'm like, okay, how do I get good deals? How do I negotiate directly with the sellers? I found wholesaling and I'm like, this is perfect. I'll, whole, I'll keep the best and wholesale the rest, right? And that's my motto. And so why they don't source their own deals? I think they're dumb. I think they should. I agree. I tell them all the time that they should. So I don't know why you don't. Yeah, I think it comes down to highest and best use of time, right? So one time I was at the closing table and I saw a $15,000 assignment fee on a $65,000 property. And I remember the person I was with was like, holy smokes, that's a lot of money. And I'm like, the numbers made sense for me at this number though, right? I'm glad that Zach is out there making money so he can continue to find deals like this because at 65, it made sense for me to buy it. And that house is now worth like 125 or 130 or something like that. So, I mean, everybody has a highest, best use of time. I work from eight to seven each day and I can't be accepting calls every single day. Zach or his team has the availability to accept the calls and run through the process, 
let them get paid for their work and let me go get paid on what I do best, which is adding value to that property, burn it out, flipping it, doing whatever I can do. You mentioned coaching a couple of times. What have you learned through the coaching process? Because I've, I've always had this idea that if you want to know something truly well, you need to go out there and teach and, and coach people on how to do it because they are able to kind of see things and it forces you to, to, to up your level of game. But any things that you've learned from the coaching part of your business? Oh, so much, man. You're going to get me down a rabbit hole here. So I don't want this to be like a pitch fest about my coaching, right? So if anyone thinks I'm doing this podcast because I'm trying to sell like signups for my program, go find a different coach. Like, like if you, if you don't see the authenticity here, what I will tell you, you're crazy. If you're going to try and accomplish any large goal that you've never done without a coach, right? Most of my success is because I've had wonderful people behind me. So I learned, I learned it. I'm going to go over just, just two things. I've learned a lot. I'm going to go through the first thing, which is what is a good coach and what is a bad coach in the filters that I've hired good coaches. I've hired bad coaches. And in the coaching industry, I've seen good coaches. I've seen bad coaches. So here's the filter that I go through when I hire coaches, just, just this month, I've spent over $60,000 on coaching for myself and my team hired a, 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 a Instagram coach for my social media, a YouTube coach, and a coach for myself for the overall direction of my company, right? So when I go to hire a coach, I look at three things. Has this person done and accomplished exactly what I'm trying to accomplish, right? You don't want someone that's teaching you something in theory, right? That's what colleges are for, and they don't do anybody any good. (gasps) Did I say that? I did. Okay, next, you want to make sure that that person is consistently getting other people the results you're looking for. Because it's one thing to do it yourself, and it's a whole nother thing to have the heart of a teacher and actually want to change lives, right? So you got to make sure that that person is putting the time and energy and effort to making people successful, not just signing core signups, right? The third thing that I look for is, do I align with their core values? Are they going to ask me to do things and say things that I don't agree with, right? And um, I think holding your integrity high and making sure that your, your coaches hold that same standard is very important, right? Because if you want to get the results, you got to do what they say. And you want to make sure you're not going to do anything that, that, that doesn't sit well with you in your belly. So, so I learned that, right? And there's a lot of bad coaches out there because they don't fit those three things. Okay. So that was one big thing I learned, but something as being a coach myself, um, I didn't want to be a coach. Like I said, I was kind of recluse. I had no intentions. I just wanted to build passive income so I could play with my family and travel and hunt and go spend time with my bow and arrow and all sorts of places, which I do, you know, I go to Alaska and Hawaii. And I, I like this year I'm in Wyoming, Nebraska, uh, Arizona, Utah, Hawaii, um, uh, see where else am I going? Anyways, I'm all over the place. Right. And so like, that's what I wanted. I didn't want to have more jobs. I literally only work four hours a week in my investing company. I have a team that does it all. I could, I could be done, right. I could not work, but I fell in love with coaching. And so I accidentally happened upon it. 2018, the end of 2018, I had done a half a million in income. I was crushing it. I was pinching myself for how much money I was making. I never imagined I'd be there. The next year, I had set a goal of making a million dollars. I read a self-help journal called Living Your Best Year Ever. And it said you had to give away whatever you want to receive. You want love, you have to you know, give love. So I created three big goals. One of them was a financial goal of a million dollars. That meant I had to give away a million bucks. Didn't have that much to give away. Plus, it didn't sit right with me because it went against my, my personal beliefs that if you give a man a fish, he'll be hungry tomorrow, right? But if you give him a fishing pole and teach him how to fish, it's a whole nother story, right? And so 
I was like, well, I don't want to just give the money away. How do I like, how do I do what this book tells me? Like I respected the author and I respected the process. And so I was like, you know what? I made all this money because I put together this amazing marketing system, you know, that I didn't have a name for. Now I call it driving for dollars mastery. And I'm going to start, I'm going to take 10 people. And I know for a fact that if 10 people actually implement what I tell them to do, they'll easily combine, make over a million dollars. Like, all right, we'll do it. My very first student, by the way, Michael McLeish texted me in September. So a couple of months ago, month and a half ago, he himself has now made over a million dollars from this system in two years. He was my very first sign up. Crazy. Right. But anyways, I, I started coaching just to put a million dollars. I had no intention of taking it any further. Right. And the more I taught, the more I realized how stupid I was and how many silly mistakes I was making and how inadequate I was to grow a half a million dollar company, let alone a million dollar company. Right. And so, uh, I mean, like one mistake is like the one of my students, like Zach, how do you know that you're receiving text messages in your CRM? Right. When someone calls up, you know, text messages, the tracking number on your postcard. I'm like, oh, I don't think I've ever received a text. Crap. <laughs> right. I mean, hundreds of leads, dude, for like two years, just hundreds of thousands of dollars down the drain. It's yeah. just, like, dude, it just still makes me sick, right? It's funny now, but it wasn't in the moment. But I found mistake after mistake, and they helped me perfect the system. By the end of that year, I did $1.2 million. But what's more important to me than, than the $1.2 million in the story is I fell in love. I found a passion, right? I found a passion of helping other people. I found a purpose. I found something that not only fulfills me, um, but something that I can hang my hat on at the end of my life, something that, that is legacy driven. And, and I went crazy, right? I, I, I walked away from my wholesaling business the next year. You know, people ask me, well, if you're making all this money from wholesaling, why do you coach? It's like, you dummy, I, made, I make way less money now. Like I walked away, had to automate all of my processes and put people in place. I went from 1.2 million to $700,000 the next year because I wasn't even working in the wholesaling business, right? We're now up over a million again, but but I walked away from, you know, in that year I made like $50,000 as a coach, you know, <laughs> but I fell in love with it because every time I tell people this all the time, your first deal, your first deal is, it's the greatest thing on earth, right? You make 20, 30 grand on a wholesale fee and it's life-changing. It's like, holy crap, it's real. This works, right? And you do it again. You're like, oh man, proof of concept. And third deal is a lot of work. You don't remember your fourth and fifth. Right. And I don't even know how many properties I have under contract. I never do. I just look at the revenue, the money in, money out. And so for me, it's, it's kind of lost its excitement. But every time a student does their first deal, I know what it means. Yep. I know what it means for them. And I celebrate with them. Right. And like, so not only do I get my cake, but I get it, I get to eat it. Yeah. You know, I get, I get the, the best of both worlds. I, I'm, I not only have financial freedom, but I've, I have purpose. And, 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 and a mission behind the work that I do. Yeah. One of the mantras or sayings that I go uh, say a lot is uh, I've been very fortunate to take the elevator up. It's my job to send it back down, which that means I have to go help people get back up to the level that I've been. And hopefully there are still people above me that will uh, pull me up as well. So that's inspirational to hear that about the coaching. Um, I want to hear, I want to switch us now to the last uh, five toppings here. Um, our first topping is what is your favorite book or what book have you read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? Um, one of my most favorite books is the seven, seven habits of highly effective people by Stephen Covey. Dude, that one, if you guys haven't read that book, it's a must. 
Uh, one that I'm reading right now is the 21 irrefutable, irrefutable laws of leadership. John Maxwell. Is that right? Yeah. 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 The, the more, the more that I scale businesses, you know, I have multiple employees in both companies and, you know, I have a holdings company for my, you know, and, and a team. And I have lots of people that work with me and I'm, I'm trying to put myself as a leader to inspire and help other people and get into this business as well. And the more I I've grown as an entrepreneur and growing companies and being a business leader is it's not, it's, it's, it's so much more about leadership than I ever imagined and realized. And as I'm going through these, this book and learning more and more about leadership, I look back to a lot of the struggles that I had in the window cleaning business and my ability to stay profitable. Yes, it has something to do with the industry. Yes, it has something to do with that. But a lot of the issues, most of the issues were me. And, um, I think that if you really want to be successful at scaling and automating a business, the problems with you, if you're struggling, you don't like, if you're saying things to yourself, um, there's no one that knows how to work anymore. My, my generation's the last generation, whatever generation that is, that's BS garbage. That's, that's you not knowing how to lead people, right? Like you need to invest into your ability to lead. Um, and so, yeah, that book and the understanding of leadership recently has been slapping in me in the face and making me realize how inadequate I was and, and still am, you know, I'm not where I want to be because I'm not who I need to be. Yeah. I'm a big proponent of leadership and uh, I, I want to nerd out after this to, to talk more about that. But our second one is um, I believe the person that you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the things that you do every single day. What's something that you do every single day? Every, every single day, I don't think there's a single thing that I do every single day because there's some days that I don't have cell phone service and I'm lost in the mountains and just completely selfish, right? And um, I'll wake up at three and hike and, you know, sit behind binoculars and take a nap for four hours in the middle of the day. And, and so there's, there's never anything that, that's the same every day. But I can say something that's helped me and a habit that I have when it comes to work um, that I do is I have a list. I have a list of all the things that I want to accomplish, right? And tasks that need to be done. And I do my best to, to look at every single task and say, can I hire someone or pass this task on to someone else, right? Within my existing team. Everything else that I can't, that's stuck on my list, I go, what's going to move the needle the most? And it's usually the stuff I want to do the least, usually, right? Because they usually make you uncomfortable. You haven't done it before. It's, it's scary. You're taking a risk or you have to spend money, like hire a coach or whatever that might be, right? So I have a, a list. So I have my Google calendars that um, keeps me on task. And, you know, when I got a podcast or when I have you know, set times, but I always have an hour, two, three, four hours a day that I'm trying to get through my list of tasks. And some stuff will be on there for two months because it's not a needle mover. It's a, I want. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is a lot of times those I wants, they become irrelevant because something happens or you hire someone and then you can pass it on. Right. And so I found that you got to make sure you're doing uh, needle moving tasks because when you grow a company and multiple companies like I am and you have multiple employees and, um, you know, there, there's so much to do. Plus, I have two beautiful children and a beautiful wife. We spend a lot of time together and I love them. I always have to go, OK, time's up. I'm done. 
Yep. Right? There's always more to do. And so making sure you work on those tasks that are actually going to move the needle, right? You got to make sure you're focused. Yeah. And spending more time with your family really comes down to really prioritizing the tasks that absolutely need to get done. And um, yep. I would encourage everybody out there to, to write your three tasks that need to be done every single day kind of thing. What, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Well, something that was given to me from my father, he didn't tell me in the nicest way. I'll tell you how he told me. He said, don't give me results. Or he said, don't give me excuses, give me results. <laughs> I think there's a, a better way to teach someone that principle. But it taught me to avoid my dad when I knew he was going to ask me something. <laughs> and I haven't done it yet. Uh, but no, on a serious note, it taught me to not make excuses. It taught me to get resourceful and creative. It taught me to talk my, my teachers into giving me extra credit for straight A's. You know, it, it, like it really made me extremely resourceful. And that resourcefulness really pushed me a long ways in life. And so, um, you know, stop giving excuses, give results, right? Find a way. He, he taught me, you know, Tony Robbins, I think says it in a better way, but, um, you know, your life is in your hands. It's your responsibility and you are capable. You're an incredible person. You first have to start and believe that. And then once you believe it, you'll take massive action. If you take massive action, you'll get results and then you'll have more confidence and you're going to spiral upwards in life. But as soon as we put these limiting beliefs of I can't because... I can't because this, I can't because that, you know, everyone will have something, a reason why they can't legitimate or not, you will always have something. But if you change it to, I have to, because of, you know, I, it's like, like, think about this. It's like, I can't, because I'm a single dad. What if you said, I have to, because I'm a single dad and that child depends on me. Right. So I, I think that being resourceful, not making excuses, not being a victim was something that my father gave me. And, and I, I think that that was probably one of the, the big things that I got early in my life. Yeah. I'm going to plug Jocko's book, um, Extreme Ownership on that, because that, that's really what it comes down to is everything good and bad in your life. If you just take the approach of it's because of me, you'll be shocked how much you can change in your life because you start taking that ownership. 100%. What's the thing that you're most proud of in your life? That I'm getting better every day. You know, there's moments in my life that I'm like being a father and all those things are so wonderful, but just being a dad isn't what makes me happy. Like being a good dad and being a better dad and being invested in my children. That's what fulfills me. Not, not I helped a student once, but that I'm helping students and I'm doing more and I'm helping more people. And I'm, you know, that, that constant progression I think is really what makes me happy and proud. I think that's my best, my answer too, by the way, I, I've never been on the other side of these, but that would be my answer too, is that I've always tried to set goals for myself. And after I achieve them, I always found a way to set a different goal. And, um, I got you it. The, the thing is the goal, the accomplishments, not that exciting. The pursuit right. of it is right. Who right. we become. And like, you can look back and be like, man, and I actually keep a business journal for that purpose. So at the end of the year, when I do my goal setting and look at what my goals were, it's like, man, every single month I wrote down all of the good things that I did and all the struggles that I'm having in the beginning of every month. And then each month I go back and I look at all the problems I had. What have I accomplished? What are the good things? What are the other outcomes we've had? And what are the current problems, right? Yep. So at the end of the year, I can go, man, like look at all the things that we've done, right? And I can present that to my team and to my family and all those things. So like, yep. yeah, huge. 
Yep. Love it. Um, our last one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? You know, I, I can't give you a name. I can't give you a name. There's incredible, incredible human pe- humans and people and everything else. But my thing is I'm constantly looking for that person to sit down and have a bowl of ice cream with. And that person and who I need that person to be changes depending on where I'm at in my life and what my goals are, right? Like I just hired a new coach. I paid 50 grand for six months of coaching for two calls a month, 45 minutes a call, right? A fortune. I never imagined I'd be spending that kind of money on coaching a handful of years ago, but he is exactly who I need to help me accomplish the goal that I have no freaking clue how to accomplish, right? And he's the guy I'm having a bowl of ice cream with, a very expensive one, right? I think that we always need to be searching for that person and that person will change because we have a goal. Most people just don't have goals or don't know where they want to go or why they want to go there. So I, I, I don't know that there is one person. I'm going to go and say that's one of the best answers we've had so far. I like it. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Well, Zach, this was fantastic. If our listeners wanted to reach out, learn more about the coaching, more about the systems that you develop in place, more about you, where's the best place we could send them? Man, I have too much info for you guys. (laughs) I can send you too many places. Let me do this. I'm going to give you guys a free gift. Okay, let's start there. Let me give you a free gift. The gift is the seven reasons why driving for dollars is the fastest way to make an absolute fortune in real estate. And I break down the seven reasons. It's a PDF. It's free. I'll email it to you. Go to dfdmastery.com forward slash the number seven free. Okay. dfdmastery.com forward slash the number seven free. Um, that's going to get you that resource. We'll also send you, once we send you that PDF, we'll send you a few more emails and, and free resources to help you guys uh, get started if, if you want to do more of the stuff that I do. But I have a podcast, Driving for Dollars Mastery. I have a YouTube channel called uh, uh, Real Estate Investing with Zach Booth. And I have a lot of cool things. Like I did a 40-day challenge where I flew to Tampa. I'd never been there. And the goal is to take a thousand bucks and turn it into over 40 grand in 40 days. And my net worth went up over 200 grand from that challenge with only a thousand dollar investment. I, I wholesaled made 93 grand on wholesale fees. So you can watch that step-by-step day by day. Um, it was creating that content sucked for me. It was horrible. I cold called so much and suffered and didn't have my family. So you guys better check that out. If you're going to watch one day, watch day four. Okay. Cause it's, it's awesome. I get like three contracts that day and cold called two other people that turned into contracts. You get to hear the scripts, everything that I've talked about, like me, like qualifying people. So that YouTube channel is fantastic. We're vamping that up big time uh, with the new coach. And then um, I have Instagram, I have Facebook, a TikTok. So wherever you guys like to consume content, I'm there for you. And then yeah, my website's dfdmastery.com as well. If we're you want to book a call. We're going to leave all those links in the, the show notes here, but I got to say you were starting your own undercover billionaire. It sounds like, Oh dude, that was 100% inspired by that guy. <laughs> yeah. Like the whole reason I did it, it was, I was like, man, like how do I take skeptics and make them believers? Cause I used to be a major skeptic. I used to think that wholesalers were shady. I used to think that it was BS. You couldn't make the kind of money they were claiming. And then I met a guy that I was washing windows for and I, and I, I made over a hundred grand mm-hmm. and he's a wealthy developer. Right. 
and take advantage of him. He was like educating me on what to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was like, holy crap, it's real. Like, how do I do more of this? Right. This is, I want to deal with a lifetime, not once in my lifetime. I want to deal with a lifetime every week of my life. Right. And so I, I hired a coach and I went for, it and it's changed everything, right. Changed my life. So I was like, how do I give that same blessing? How do I pay it forward? How do I take these skeptics and make them believers? And I was like, well, I'll give them an over shoulder. Look, they get a C, they get to meet that Stan, right. Yeah. That I wash windows for, they get to meet him. Right. And you meet Jerry, same thing. Wealthy investor didn't want to deal with them. I even, even had him on my podcast after he yeah. knows that I'm making money. He knows who I am, right? Like he knows that I'm this big guru that makes all this money, right? He didn't care. He didn't want to deal with them. Yep. Yep. Well, this is fantastic. I would love to have you back on the show as you uh, expand your business, expand the wholesaling, but expand the coaching as well, because uh, I have a big and a lot of thoughts around leadership and how folks need to understand the importance of being a good leader and a good follower in life. So I want to hear more about that in the future. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks everybody. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.